Hello, Jeremy Howard here with you again from Orchard Hills Bible Church. I am the staff pastor here, and I am walking through the book of Genesis in step with the Come Follow Me Sunday School curriculum for the, from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And today, Genesis 28 through 33 is before us. And because I want these episodes to be relatively short, I think I mentioned before I'm aiming for about 15 minutes, I just have to pick a couple of things. And so uh, Genesis 28 to 33, there's so much in there. But we're just going to look at two things, two, two, two different things. So much could be seen. There's a, all these narratives uh, in these chapters of Jacob's journeys, his dealings with his brother Esau, these strange interactions that he has with him. I would suggest if you want to learn more of like a Bible church pastor's perspective on those types of aspects to the story, that you find yourself a good commentary. Uh, John Davis has a has a good uh, commentary that goes through the book of Genesis, and there are others if, if you want uh, some advice on that, just reach out, and I'd love to help you find a good commentary where you could do your own study and read along through Genesis. But today, the two things that we're going to look at in this section are number one, Jacob's dream of the ladder or stairway, and two, Jacob's wrestling match with a mysterious man. So uh, that's where we're going to start, and we should just jump right into Scripture. If you're watching on video, you'll see the uh, little inset of me on the video. It has now moved to the other side of the screen. I think this will be better, but uh, we'll see. I, I had it over on the other side for a reason before. And uh, we'll just see how this works. But Jacob 20, or not Jacob, Genesis 28, we're going to join Jacob in the middle of his journeys here where he's departing from Beersheba, it says, going toward Haran. Okay, uh, I'll just read uh, a few verses here and then we'll just consider what it is that he, he dreamed about. It says that he, Jacob, came to a certain place and spent the night there. Because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Verse 14, your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Verse 16, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So as you read through this narrative, uh, you'll see that Jacob called the place Bethel, which means house of God. God is in this place. This is the house of God, he said back in verse 17. 
And that's what that word Bethel means. You'll see that word come up from time to time in other contexts in our day and age, and it's just interesting to know Bethel means house of God. Well, this is an interesting uh, dream that gets talked about quite a bit. I'm sure you've heard of it before, but maybe haven't really understood what's going on. And there are a lot of things in this story I don't think we'll ever really know (laughs) exactly why it was presented this way or or what it uh, actually fully means. We really can't know very many things exhaustively in this life, now can we? And this is, of course, one of them. Well, it says a ladder uh, is what he saw in his dream. That's how many translations put it. It could be better described as a stairway, so we don't know exactly what it looked like. Uh, This is as close as we get to a description um, that he saw something that looked like a ladder that had angels ascending and descending on it. And because we're talking about ascending and descending, it does seem right to some commentators to consider the ladder being more of a, a staircase. So he, he sees this, and he has this uh, awareness that God is at the top of the ladder or staircase. He's standing above it, it says, and that's when God speaks to him. And this is really where we get the purpose of the dream, and we get to the heart of what God is doing through this dream. When God says to him, I am the God of your father, Abraham, which is actually, of course, Jacob's grandfather, um, and the God of Isaac, that's his direct father. This is the same God, is what he's saying. So that's an important aspect of, of what's happening here. God is saying, the one talking to you, it's the same God who called your grandfather out of his foreign land and made promises to him. And, And I'm the same God who made promises to your father, Isaac, same God. And the land on which you lie, God said in verse 13, he's giving to him, Jacob, giving to Jacob. So the point of this dream is is now starting to open up. God is communicating to him and confirming to him these promises that started with Abraham. And that's really the key. If you remember all the way back in Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, uh, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to give you a land those who bless you will be blessed. Those who cursed you will be cursed. He then reaffirmed those promises to Abraham in his life in different uh, points. If you remember the, uh, the section where Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac, and he went forth in faith to do this, and God reaffirmed the promise in that moment whenever he gave him the ram in place of Isaac. And to Isaac, we had these promises made too, and now to Jacob. So God is making clear the lineage through which he's going to bring about these promises made to Abraham originally, all the way back in chapter 12. God extends the promise made to Abraham through Isaac and now to Jacob also. And it's through Jacob that the promise will be realized in a grander scale, as Jacob will go on, of course, to have... 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel, and we'll get to that in the next episode uh, some more. But it's interesting, if you notice, again, verse 13, God says, I'm the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. There are probably several times you've heard in the Bible where you've read the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those three names are put together, and we're seeing here in real time, so to speak, as we read through the narrative of Genesis, how those three names get put together in the context of God's covenant promise. And it's God particularly 
calling out to Abraham, Abraham, particularly calling out to Isaac, and that's over and against Ishmael. Remember, Abraham did have other sons, Ishmael being one of them, and it's it's Isaac who is the son of promise. And then Jacob, not Esau, but Jacob. And in the last episode, we talked about God saying that, that what that's what was going to happen before they were even born, before they had done anything good or bad. Because God had a choice, because God had an election that was free, not determined by man's actions in any way, he chose the younger, Jacob, that the older would serve the younger. And so you get these three names through the narrative of Genesis put together as the line of promise, the the covenant, unconditional covenant promise. And in the Old Testament, over 20 times, you see those names put together after this moment where they say, the writers will say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you see it in the Old Testament a whole bunch, and you also see it in the ministry of Jesus. He talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on multiple occasions. You see it in the book of Acts, too, where these three names are put together. Interestingly, you don't see those three names put together uh, regarding the like God's name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or in reference to the promise. You don't see those names put together in that uh, way in any of Paul's letters or John's epistles or Peter's epistles, not saying they disagreed at all with any of that. It's just interesting. In the New Testament, you only have those three names put together tightly this way in Jesus's ministry and in the book of Acts. But the point being, uh, this is God's decision to bring through a specific line his covenant promises, uh, not just to any children, but to the specific children that he chose, Isaac and Jacob, and then uh, goes forth from there. Now, again, I want you to notice in Genesis 28 here, the unconditional nature of the promise. In verse 14, God plainly says to him, your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, this, of course, is hearkening back to that initial promise to Abraham, where he was told, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, it's through Jacob now. And this is unconditional. God's not saying, if you do these things, then there will be a blessing that extends to all the families of the earth. That's just not the way it's been presented to Abraham, not the way it's presented to Isaac, not the way it's presented to Jacob. It's just, here's what the Lord is is doing. Again, in verse 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, God says. Wow. And will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God says that he has made a promise, and he's going to up, uphold his, his part of that promise, which is the only part of the promise. It doesn't say, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you, and you do your part also. Now, very easily, simply, God could have arranged a covenant that way. And later, through Moses, we'll see that he does make a covenant with Israel that way that's conditioned on their obedience. But here, in this promise that's given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there is no condition. It is a direct, unconditional promise from God that he will perform. And after this, uh, you know, of course, Jacob says, wow, the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And so he uh, worships. He sets up a memorial stone. He uh, goes through a couple other ritual things that 
you can read about and you can actually see those same worship rituals developed in Israel's history. And so we're getting here some foundational elements of, um, you could say, Israeli worship, um, how the Israelites worshiped God. Some of those foundational elements are just right here in this interaction that Jacob had with the Lord through this dream. And so that's something interesting that you can you can check out. So that's the dream business. Now I want to talk about the wrestling match that Jacob has, which is uh, just as interesting, if not more interesting, because, you know, those things that we just don't know a lot about uh, exhaustively in life, which is like almost everything. Well, we have it again going on in uh, Genesis 32. Where does it start? About verse 15? Genesis 32... Um, no, verse 15 was, was way off. <laughs> it's actually down in like verse 22. Okay. So, uh, Genesis 32 and we'll start in ah, verse 24. Again, we're just joining Jacob in the middle of his travels. So you can read about these, uh, the, the narrative of course, ex- is pretty detailed about what Jacob's up to. So we're just jumping right into the middle of a new setting now, a few chapters later. In Genesis 32, 24, it says that Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Okay, now that's just kind of wild, isn't it? (laughs) All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jacob was left alone. Bang, there's a man right there. Bang, they wrestle until daybreak. I have 17 questions, right? We all do, but we don't get very many answers. Let's just keep reading and see what answers we do get. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him... So when the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you, unless you bless me. Now that's kind of fascinating that he asked for a blessing from this random man random to us anyway. Verse 27, so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. (laughs) I like how simple that is. Tell me your name. No, but I'm going to bless you. And then that's like the end of the interaction. Isn't that wild? So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he had, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Wow. And then again, you, uh, you'll see that the next day Jacob gets up and there are ramifications to everything that happened, kind of like with the dream. And, uh, his thigh hurts because his his leg was taken out of socket through this wrestling match. And uh, it goes on to say in the text, the last verse of the chapter says that, therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Okay, wow. Um, So you have this wrestling match that results in a blessing and a new name. For Jacob. Jacob gets a blessing and a new name, his new name being Israel. And the word Israel there uh, can be literally or woodenly translated 
he who strives with God, or just simply God strives, and more on that in a moment. So this is an amazing encounter for Jacob that leaves him uh, changed. Uh, of course, he's changed physically with his leg, but he's also changed uh, with you know this direction he's been given through the blessing. Um, we never discover the identity of the man. So there are some hints here. Of course, he's called a man. We, we, we have that to go off of. It doesn't say figure or spirit or anything like that. It says a man. And then you have later on down in the passage where Jacob kind of has this, um, I don't know, this realization of what just went on. And he says that he saw God face to face. I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved, Jacob says. And um, that's, that's an interesting note, too, from Jacob himself, the one who was, who was there uh, wrestling with the man until daybreak. Now, we can draw out two just very basic observations that are, that are factual from the story when we're looking for the identity of this one who wrestled with Jacob. One is that the person was physical. So there was actual wrestling going on, okay? Um, there was an actual uh, uh, wrestling that was taking place. And, of course, you know, with Jacob's leg coming out of joint, uh, the hip and thigh socket being affected, there was an actual physical effect from the wrestling. He, the man touched his thigh, touched the socket of his thigh, it says in verse 25. And there was an actual effect where the thigh was dislocated. So this, this was a physical encounter. But the second thing is that there was a blessing that resulted. So the man who was wrestling was able to affect physical change, yet he was also able to give a spiritual blessing and to pronounce a name change for Jacob, which is pretty wild. He was able to do both of those things. So that basically, when we think about the... Um, the identity of this man, this wrestler, that leaves us with two options. One is a Christo uh, Christophany. I almost said Christology. Christology is an area of study. Christophany is an appearance of Jesus Christ before his birth, uh, before his incarnation through his mother Mary. So it's possible that Jacob here was wrestling with a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, Jesus Christ showing up, wrestling with him. And that would make sense when, um, in verse 28, when the man says, for you have striven with God. Okay, that's something that he says after, after the wrestling match. Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God. It also would make sense um, down in verse 30, where Jacob says, I've seen God face to face. That's another... Um, another way that that would make sense. However, I am starting to, I, I mean, I used to kind of be kind of strong on that view, but now I'm, I'm leaning toward he was wrestling with an angel. And that's because it's really hard to get around Hosea 12, uh, which speaks to this, this encounter quite directly. And I have it here on the screen for those watching. In Hosea 12, it's talking about Jacob in verse 3, uh, verses 3 and 4. It says, in the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity, he contended with God. So there's our word, our striving word. The word is actually Sarah in Hebrew. Isn't that interesting? The word Sarah means to strive. Anybody named Sarah listening 
if you're a fighter, maybe it's because that's your <laughs> your Hebrew name. In his maturity, he contended with God. Okay, wow. But it says verse four. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. Now we get the word angel that shows up. He wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. So at the end of the day, we we don't really exactly know the identity of this man. Was it Jesus Christ? Was it an angel? We don't know. Uh, But I think those are the two main options. So that's just an interesting thing for you to uh, consider. A pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ or an angel, as Hosea says. And Jacob, of course, obtained victory in the wrestling match, regardless of who the man was. He obtained victory. It says that he uh, prevailed. Jacob prevailed. That's the word given down in verse 28. And he is now Israel. That is his new name. His name is Israel. And uh, there are different ways to interpret the word, the name Israel. I told you earlier that it could be woodenly translated, he who strives with God, or simply God strives. The famous Hebrew Old Testament commentary, Kyle and Delich, they said that it could be God's fighter. Israel means God's fighter. Derek Kidner, a very popular Hebrew Old Testament commentator, he says that it could be interpreted, may God strive for him. May God strive for him. So one in one sense, it's Jacob striving on behalf of God. That's what Israel means. In another sense, it could mean God striving on behalf of Jacob. Quite interesting. But either way, in any case, in uh, this chapter, verse chapter 32, and in chapter 35, we have this communication given to Jacob that, hey, you're no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. That is, that is clear, that he has a new name. Now, one more thing before we finish up. Um, what, did, what did Jacob, or we could say Israel now, what did he mean when he said, I have seen God face to face? I've seen God face to face, yet my life or my soul, the very important Hebrew word nephesh, my life or my soul has been preserved. I've seen God face to face, but my life has been preserved. Well, um, in Exodus, we see this phrase come up. So here in just a few lessons, we're going to talk about this phrase again. You've got Moses at the burning bush. You've got the Israelites who are around the mountain when God gives the Ten Commandments. And there's this idea of seeing God face-to-face or experiencing God face-to-face in both of those instances, especially the, the one where the Ten Commandments are given. I'd have to look and see in Exodus 3 if specifically that face-to-face language is used for Moses with the burning bush. But the Israelites never saw an actual person at the burning bush. Oh, this whole time I thought I was back on the... I thought I was back on this view. I was giving you guys all sorts of stuff on my program. I'm sorry. If you're following along uh, on video, I just totally messed that up for the last little bit. You, you should have been seeing this the whole time. Man, I got to get better at that. I need, I need a director here to tell me what to do. Where was I? Got sidetracked. Uh, Exodus. Okay, Exodus, the Ten Commandments. Um, it says that the Israelites... Uh, I'll just go back to the full screen because that's what I was I came here to do and I thought I was okay the um, the Israelites when the Ten Commandments were given it says that they did not see any sort of person they heard God's voice 
coming from the smoke, but it says that they experienced God face to face, or they, I think it even says they saw God face to face, kind of the same expression used here by Jacob. Well, what does that mean if they didn't actually see? Because the text is very clear they didn't see an actual face, yet it says they saw God face to face. Well, there's there's this amazing reality of when God manifests his presence in a more powerful way, a, a more tangible or real way, even though there is no literal face in front of people, where they're hearing his voice, he's performing specific signs with them, that they're having a profound experience that could be described as this intimate uh, phrase of face-to-face. And it it sounds a little strange to us, but I want us to consider, and I almost did it again. I'm going to switch back to this screen. There we go. I want us to consider what we see in the New Testament. In John 1.18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. That's a just a very straightforward straightforward phrase. John 1.18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. This is talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the Word of God becoming flesh and exegeting. God by revealing God to us through his incarnation. That's an amazing, amazing passage, John 1, 1 through 18. But at the beginning of this verse, it says, no one has seen God at any time. Okay, well, what is what did John believe about the Old Testament? Well, he believed it was the Word of God. He certainly believed uh, Genesis, the Jacob account, Moses through Exodus. You, you actually see a lot of Moses's ministry showing up in the Gospel of John. He absolutely believed in those Old Testament scriptures. Yet he says that no one has seen God at any time. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant that no one had physically seen God, because we find out later in John's Gospel, in chapter 4, that uh, Jesus talking to the woman at the well, God is spirit. God can't be seen, especially by mortal men. You can't see God and live. And so from our perspective here on earth and the here and now, no one can see God. So what Jacob is saying is not that he literally saw God's face as though God has a face like ours. What he's saying is that he had an intimate experience with God. He was able to have this profound, powerful experience with God. And you could say it was so intimate and so profound and so real that it was like face to face. Again, in 1 John 4.12, you see this again, no one has seen God at any time. Isn't that amazing? And of course, remember, this is after the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And you could certainly say, like Thomas did, my Lord and my God, if you encounter the incarnate Christ, because he is God in flesh. However, there is something different about the incarnate Christ than the um, unincarnate glory of the eternal God. Uh, Jesus, it says in Philippians 2, that Jesus came in the likeness of a servant. He was in the likeness of man. And that there was something about God's glory that was veiled because Jesus was taking on flesh. He was in appearance, being found in appearance as a man. Now that unveiled glory is what I'm saying here, that unveiled glory of the eternal God, no one can see that and live. And so uh, perhaps Jacob was wrestling with the pre-incarnate Son of God 
who was veiling his glory in that wrestling with him. Perhaps he was wrestling with an angel. But either way, through that experience, Jacob had this encounter with God that was so intimate and so profound that it could be called face-to-face. Just like with the Israelites later in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, they didn't see a physical face. They only heard a voice and they saw the smoke. Yet they encountered God face-to-face because it was so intimate and so profound. Okay? All right, I went way too long, almost 30 minutes, and I messed up the video stuff again. I need to get better at this. Hopefully I will. But uh, join me for the next uh, for the next episode where we look at Genesis 34 to 41, an even bigger section. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.